Jesus, would you come and just guide us into this this morning? Would you make this real and tangible to us? Um, Lord, in some sense, we're talking about really big things, but, but they're not complicated. You love us, and you've made us your own. You care about us. And Lord, you, you've placed us in a family, in a community. And so, God, we just want to receive what you have for us what you want us to know deep in our hearts as your sons and daughters and as members of your family. God, in a world gone crazy, Lord, in the midst of a life where it would be easy to be discontent, to be anxious, to be frustrated, to feel stuck, to be fearful, God, to get angry at times. Lord, all the things that, that get on us so easily walking through the difficulty of this life, God, the truth is there is peace that is available for our hearts in you. And so, God, would you make this real to us today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be anchored in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Um, kind of the main passage is going to be verses 11 through 17. We're just going to kind of work our way through these verses um, and, and talk about these two key issues of our identity being an anchor point for contentment and God's family being a place where we learn and grow in contentment. So here we go. Colossians chapter three, verse 11. This is Paul once again. Last Sunday, we looked at Paul's life in a letter he wrote to a church in a town called Philippi. And now we've got Paul writing to another church in a different town. And so this is his letter to the Colossians. And so he's talking to them about who they are and the body that they're a part of. And so let's pick this up in Colossians 3, verse 11, and the first part of verse 12. Here, here, in this community, in this family is what he's saying, in, in the body of Christ, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You know, we could make our own updated list of like, you know, Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. Like we could have our lists of the ways that we get categorized. You know, sometimes we allow ourselves to get categorized or we take on um, identities ourselves or our culture certainly puts that on us. But one of the things Paul is saying is that an anchor point in our life should be to realize that in God's family, connected with him, he is the defining thing about us. Who he is and his great love for us, it is the defining characteristic of our lives. It, is, it, it has a uniting factor in our lives but it means something about how he views us personally. Look at these words that he used to describe us. If, if we are identified with Christ, we are chosen. Like he, he picked you out. You are special to him. He chose the time you would live, who you'd be born to. He numbered your days and he looked at you and said, you're special to me. I've chosen you. I love you. And so we're chosen. And that, then it goes on and it uses the word holy. How many of you guys just feel holy all the time when you're walking around? Alex started to raise his hand really fast. 
I think Crystal punched him quick enough that he got it back down. She was like, no way. All right, now listen, I am not holy in and of myself. But, but holiness, first of all, it, it means set apart, right? So if you take that idea of, of we're chosen, God has picked us out. To set us apart means you're so special to him, he picked out like a spot for you to put you on display and to protect you. You know, things that are special, like you find just the right spot for them. And so holy, it means set apart. On my own, man, I don't feel like anything special. And I'm aware of how messed up I am and how broken I am and how often I let others down. But in his eyes, he says, no, you're special to me. And that makes you holy. That makes you set apart. My holiness is enough to make you holy. And the fact that I've picked you out and said you're special to me makes you holy. And so we're chosen, we're holy. And then all of that should convince us of this, but he still tells us anyways, we're beloved. We are beloved by God. He loves us. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff that can, that can rip us off, that can make life difficult, but I'm convinced that one of the, the core issues that, that robs us of having a sense of being at peace in this world. One of the things that robs me from having my mind just settled instead of racing and anxious and feeling guilty or ashamed or like I'm letting people down and on and on and on on that roller coaster ride. I'm convinced that one of the primary reasons our joy gets robbed from us, our peace gets robbed from us, we don't feel content is that we haven't truly understood how much the God who made us loves us. He loves us. Period. The end. Friends, if he expected you to figure it out on his own, he wouldn't have sent his only beloved son that whosoever would believe in him might be saved. The father and the son working together gave what was most precious to them because we are so precious to them to bring us home that we might know that we are chosen and holy and loved by God. Now, Jesus understood this in his own life when he walked this earth and it was an anchor point for him. He was rooted in the fact that his relationship with the Father was secure. And because he knew who he was as the Son, then he could face everything else that came his way. And so I want you to see this right at the start of his ministry. Now, we see this reality throughout his life. This is just one example. But in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Jesus gets baptized. It's like the launching of his ministry. And so he comes to John the Baptist and, and he gets baptized. And watch what happens in this moment. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw something miraculous. 
And the Spirit of God descended like a dove and came to rest on him. God's presence came and rested on him. I love that word rest. As the Spirit of God rested on him, don't you know that just enabled him to go, yeah. And then he heard a voice. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If Jesus needed to hear that, if the perfect son of God needed to hear that in the midst of living this difficult life, how much more do you and I need to hear that? But see, the truth is, Man, when we're baptized into a relationship with God, when it's not about being dunked in the water, although that's a special, powerful moment. It's about identifying ourselves with him. God, you receive me. You accept me. You love me. I receive that. I receive you. I say yes to you. You're willing to call me your son? You're willing to call me your daughter? Then yes, I'm willing to call you father. Yes, and when we are identified with him as a son or a daughter, friends, this reality is our reality. He speaks to us and says, you're my beloved. That's what we just read. Paul's saying the same word used to describe Jesus, he's using to describe you and I. I'm beloved, and he's well-pleased in me. He's chosen me. I'm special to him. Friends, don't don't brush past this too easily. When our contentment is getting robbed from us, when our peace is being stolen, let the reality of who I am as a son or daughter, let that reality so permeate your heart that it settles you. God, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't understand what's happening around me. God, I'm frustrated with myself. The decisions I've, I've been making, the way I've been living, what's going on internally, the struggle in here. God, I don't get it. I don't understand. But God, I choose to believe that you are my good father. And that as your son, as your daughter, that that's enough for me. I'm settled. I'm secure. I'm loved. And as hard as this moment might be, you're with me in it. You're gonna see me through it. And I'm gonna be secure in you forever. Notice it said that the heavens opened to Jesus. He caught a glimpse of his true home. He caught a glimpse of his eternal reality. See, a little bit of us needs to be anchored in heaven. As I'm navigating through this life, if I know my life is anchored there, and I realize it's not just, it's not up, it's just a future reality we'll experience. But if, if my life is anchored in who I am in Christ and in the reality of what he has for me forever, man, that anchor point can see me through the difficulty of this life. And so friends, my hope, my prayer is that we receive that peace, that contentment that comes from understanding our place as a son or a daughter. Receive that from the Lord. Now, when God invites us into his family, it doesn't just create this connection, it creates these connections. 
he, he places us in a family. Anybody in here got a family? It just goes great all the time, right? Everybody get a, gets along great. There's never problems, arguments. There's no drama. Family's just perfect, you know? It's like, it's like just one of those beautiful paintings that you see that captures the idyllic home, you know? And everybody's around the table and dad's just got that perfect smile right as the mashed potatoes are heading to his mouth. And, right, it's like that's, that's what we all experience in family, right? It's just perfect all the time. No. Yet, God intends for us to discover and grow in contentment by putting us in a family. Wait a minute, that seems like the opposite is gonna happen. You're gonna put me in a family with other people who are difficult and I'm difficult and that's gonna help me grow in peace? See, that contradiction, there's something beautiful God wants to do in this. And so while his peace and contentment is a gift that comes uniquely from him, it's also something we're meant to grow in together as we walk through life in this family. So Paul continues, he's building off of this idea of understanding who we are here so that we understand it then anchors us in a family here. And so I'm gonna pick back up in verse 12, Colossians 3, 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. Therefore, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I think it's interesting he says to put that on because that doesn't just happen naturally in my life. I am not a naturally humble person. I get humbled a lot because of my pride, but I'm not a naturally humble person. I'm not a naturally loving person. I'm definitely not a naturally patient person. But see, who God has made me now as his kid, this is now availed to me. And so I can say, God, would you help me put this on today? God, would you, would you give me the grace I need to have some humility? Maybe even in this specific situation I'm about to be in with this person. God, would you give me some patience? Would you help me put on patience as I navigate this thing with, with another friend, another family member? Lord, I choose to put this on. Verse 13, why would we need all of that? Because we need to bear with one another. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another. You know, I don't, I don't wanna correct the inerrant word of God. So I'm not going to. But I really don't feel like we need the word if one has a complaint against another. I think we could very easily put in when one has a complaint against another. Um, I feel like that's there in the original Greek probably. Um, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Friends, we're not gonna have peace in our relationships because we're not gonna have problems. We're gonna learn to have peace in our relationships because we're gonna learn to forgive. Because here's the deal. I need people to be gracious to me. I'd run everybody off if it was just up to my ability and personality to make people like me. I'd run everybody off. Give me enough time, all right? I, I only have people who love me because they've chosen to be gracious towards me. They put up with me. They forgive me. They give me not a second chance, like a 102nd chance, like, 
See, when we choose to, to extend that kind of grace to one another, it creates an environment where I can come as I am with all my faults, with all my failures, because here's what we're doing. We're choosing to put on these glasses, right? God has these glasses that he puts on. He goes, Caleb, you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. But like when those glasses are removed, it's like there's lots of reasons not to feel like Caleb is all that great. <laughs> just, just picking on you. <laughs> but see, God, God just, he sees us like this, man. And so what he's asking us to do is recognize that he sees me that way. That will settle my heart a lot. In fact, a lot of why I can't see other people properly is because I can't even see myself properly. But when I realize the lenses he used to look at me and the love he has for me, then I can choose to put those on. Put on humility. Put on kindness. And now, Manuel, I see you through the eyes of Jesus. And I can love you. And I can begin to go, you are chosen. You are holy. You are beloved. And so I can love you for who God calls you to be, not for the imperfections and struggles we all have through this life. Is this making sense? Guys, when we go out of these doors and we encounter the world around us, it's gonna be hard to find peace in relationships there. And it's difficult to find it here in church community. But he calls us to become more and more like him. And so we get to practice peace. We get to practice being content. And so that is the beauty of being in this family is that we, we put this stuff on, we forgive one another. And so what does he say, verse 14, what pulls it all together? Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. My wife and I's marriage is not in perfect harmony but because we have put on the love of Christ and we have chosen love for one another, we do have perfect harmony. Not perfect in the sense that nothing's ever wrong, perfect in the sense that we choose harmony. We choose peace. We choose to extend forgiveness. We choose to acknowledge when we're wrong. Sometimes it takes me a while, but I get there. We choose to acknowledge that. And so it keeps us in harmony with one another when we put on love. Friends, the culture around us impacts us more than we know. There's times where we're conscious of it, but there's a lot of times where we're not. But the culture teaches us to do things like, like compare. Compare to where other people are at, what they're experiencing, what they have. Or I just, I live in it and around it. And so what, what's important to the culture, what the culture focuses on, it, it kind of becomes a part of what I focus on. And we try to obtain acceptance, approval through our experiences around us, through how other people perceive us. And guys, that is a recipe for being discontent. I don't know anyone that's ever said, yeah, I follow these three or four people on Instagram and I, just, I look up to these certain people so much and admire them so much. And you know what? It's given me such peace about who I am. And I feel so much more accepted and settled in who I am as I've learned to watch them and try to identify with them. Has that ever happened for anybody? No, I might find some encouragement through my friends, but like, guys, that's just a picture of this. 
we are being impacted by people and the world around us and it breeds discontent. It breeds anxiety. There, there's, there's a huge issue in our culture with people struggling with who they are, with mental health issues and, and social media and the internet, the more connected we have become with one another, the worse it's actually gotten. Kids who never even thought about this stuff growing up. Now this generation at such a young age, like kids that aren't even 10 yet are already having all kinds of issues about how they look. Worried about how they're perceived, do they measure up? Being more connected has not solved this problem when we're more connected with the broken world around us. But see, that's, that's the beauty of what Paul is talking about here. It's the beauty of what God offers us. In this community, instead of trying to measure up, we just choose to love one another well. We choose, we choose it. We accept one another as we are. We bear with one another as we're growing and becoming more and more who God's called us to be. So we hang in there together. And so our spiritual family, it's meant to be a place not only where we can receive and experience peace, but where we can practice it. Like I can practice in real tangible ways. If I can figure out how to love y'all a little bit better and you can figure out how to love me a little bit better and we can stumble through that together, then I might have a chance to take that outside these walls and love some other people who sure need it, who sure need to experience the love of God. And so we can grow and learn this together. I love this little verse, Psalm 133, verse one. Like this is God's heart. It just says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It puts a smile on God's face when we choose to be united with each other. Any moms or dads in the room? Isn't it so nice when your kids are just playing well? Isn't it just the best? Maybe you hear the little bit of chatter and it's like, oh man, they're not fighting right now. They're having fun, they're playing. Oh, it's just the best. That's God's heart for us. It, it, it makes him happy and he knows it's good for us. It's good and pleasant when we dwell together in unity. Friends, there's so much turmoil, so much anxiety, so much frustration in our country, in the world around us. And one of the saddest things to see is how divided the church is in the middle of this time. We should be able as the church to be offering hope and light to a world that's hurting and broken, that's wanting a better sense of connection. Because as imperfect as we might be, if we were all loving each other well, and learning to be at peace with one another, even when we disagree, even when things are hard, man, then we have something to offer. Instead, the world looks at the church and just goes, well, they don't have it any better there, so why would I go be a part of that? See, if, if we live it out together, we receive, we grow in peace and contentment, and then it shines a light to a world that needs it. So I wanna give you a couple practical tips here and we'll wrap things up. Practical tips for learning to be content in the family of God. This is verses 15, 16, and 17. We'll just take each one briefly. So he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because you are called to be one body. That means when something happens and my emotions get stirred and the thing that is ready to rule is anger. When the thing that's ready to rule is disappointment. When the thing that's ready to rule is to feel left out, hurt. That instead I can say, no, God, I'm not going to let that have the throne right now. I'm going to let your peace rule because we are one. We're a part of one another. We're one body. And so, God, I'm going to recognize that and I'm going to be thankful for this body. And even though this is a really hard moment and anger wants to rule, even though I want to believe the worst that they don't love me, they don't care about me, they're neglecting me, I'm not going to believe that nonsense. I'm going to choose that you have anchored me in this family and I'm going to choose to let your peace reign. I'm going to be thankful for this family even though it's hard right now. Let the peace of God rule. It's a choice that has to be made. Second thing, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not like I occasionally hear somebody talk about God's word. Not I sort of half asleep read the Bible every now and then. Like God's word is, gets inside of me. I'm, I'm rich in his word. The bank account of God's word is full in my life. I've made a lot of deposits. I'm rich in his word. I let it dwell in me. And so how do we do that? Teaching and admonishing one another. Now, we practice a little bit of this on Sundays. Primarily, one person is teaching and admonishing in this context. But it goes on and it says, in all wisdom, and it says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So even the, the truths that we are singing together, whether you realize it or not, when we're all in this room together and we're all singing, we're speaking this truth over each other. We're communicating it to one another. And it's one of the reasons why at our church, and I hope all churches, why we don't stop at Sunday mornings. This is a gathering in the week. We emphasize be in relationship, get in a life group, be in community. That's where these one another's can happen. It might get difficult there sometimes, but it's an opportunity to grow in peace. But in turn, in, in our connection with one another, we let God's word dwell, dwell richly there. God, your word guides this group, our hearts, this conversation, these relationships. And so we remind each other of this truth and we sing about it. It creates a culture, an atmosphere where God's word just soaks in. It soaks in. And we do this with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So we were thankful that we could let peace rule because we're a part of a family. And I can be thankful that I have a community rooted in God's truth to encourage me, to build me up. And then finally, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you notice how gratitude came up in all three verses? Thankfulness. Thank you for this family. Thank you for a place, God, where your word can permeate my heart and where I can sing with my friends and be reminded of truth. God, thank you that this is about more than words, it's in action. This isn't the fake church Sunday morning, fake smile on your face, 
how you doing, love you. They walk off, yeah, I love you, all right. Yeah, what about that? He says in word and deed, we live it out. In action towards one another, loving, intentional action to care for, to protect, to love. We do it in word and deed, and we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I've talked about this before, you know, there's, there's that Old Testament um, Ten Commandments, and in there, one of them says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And we've somehow made that being about not cursing. No. When you take on his name, do it with a real sense of purpose. Like, God, I get to carry your name. And so as I'm walking out this situation right here, right now with my friend, God, I'm taking on your name. They've taken on your name. We're brothers. We're sisters. And so both in what I say and in how I interact with them, I'm gonna let love permeate that because I don't take it lightly that I get to be called your son or daughter. And I don't take it lightly that that's your kid. I can put up with a lot done to me. You mess with one of my kids, Pastor Jake ain't gonna be so friendly anymore. It's gonna be on. Why don't we think about that with the way we treat one another? This is my brother. This is my sister. And dad loves me and he'll fight for me, but he he loves them too. Is the way that I am treating my sister, my brother, is it making dad happy? Or is it breaking his heart? In word and in deed, let's not take his name lightly. All right, I wanna leave you with this in closing then. What's our worship response? We've, we've been talking about these little habits we can kind of implement in our lives through this series. And so um, our, our worship response, our spiritual discipline is Sabbath, Sabbath. Now I've got some notes here, um, but I don't wanna drag this out. And so you can check this out a little bit more this week if, if you want, but I wanna encourage you. Sabbath is a gift from God. It's about rest, It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. And there are two basic parts of Sabbath. One is connection with God. And so I wanna give you the word solitude. It's it's time with him where I receive from him what I can only get from him. I can take in that peace. I can take in that contentment. I can receive that love. And so he wants me to create a space in my life where I slow down. And I'm refreshed as I rest and receive what I need from him. And so I can practice Sabbath. The second part of Sabbath, it's not just this personal connection with God. It's gathering with his people. It's sanctuary. We come together. And so one of the ways that we can practice this is being a part of a family that worships together consistently, regularly. Let me get in the routine of learning to be refreshed by being with my family. And so Sabbath is what we ease into. And so you can see some of this in Mark's gospel, chapter six, verse 30, where Jesus recognized him and the disciples needed time away from everything to go to a quiet place and just be with the Lord. And they didn't do it to run and hide from people. They did it to be re-energized, to love people well. And then the second thing you can check out is Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, where we see the early church just devoting themselves to being together. And what 
what is described in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, is what Paul is writing about to the Colossian church that we just read. Gathering, loving each other, having meals together, singing together, encouraging one another. And what happened was they experienced something beautiful and it attracted people who were hungry for a place to belong. And so the church grew because they were experiencing Sabbath together. Sabbath community is beautiful. It's loving, it's caring, it's generous. That's Sabbath community. Guys, Sabbath community is inconvenient. It's inconvenient to set time aside, and so that makes it sacrificial. Well, that's what real love is. Real love is sacrificial. Love that isn't sacrificial isn't love. Real love gives. And so it's inconvenient. It's countercultural. It's counter to what our culture does. Our, our culture loves just kind of keeping, keeping our options open, right? Just go with the flow. What do I feel like doing today? And like our culture is becoming less and less committed to anything. It's countercultural. It also is counter to our self-centered lives. Like my natural bent is to just worry, just do me, worry about me but it's good for us. So it's beautiful, but it's inconvenient. It's countercultural. And then finally, guys, it's life-changing. When we get rooted into a family, when we understand where God has placed me, man, it, it begins to change things. Walking through life with people who love me, who pray for me, who have my back, and I've been there for them. What makes Grant and Christina leaving so hard is like I was a part of both of their children being born and getting to celebrate that with them. I was a part of difficulty along the way in that journey, crying together, praying together. I, I can celebrate with my friend that God provided an awesome job for his family that moves, moves them closer to some family. I can celebrate that while also being sad. Well, I'm sad because we love each other. It's worth the risk that even though there might be loss at times in our relationships, it's worth it. It's worth it. All right, so I've said enough. Let's pray. Let's practice Sabbath. Let's receive contentment from God. Let's practice it with one another, amen? All right, well, Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that at the end of the day, you came to make peace. You came to reconcile us to your Father. You came to bring us into a family that we were made for. And so God, I pray that we would learn more and more to receive the peace, the joy, the contentment that comes only from you. And God, that we would learn to put on love, patience with one another, that we might grow in contentment and peace as we navigate life together. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Take some time. Love on the Richmonds. Love on the Marshalls. And we'll see you.